Well, hello there, friends. Welcome to the Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. It's Andrew here, bringing you another episode. Glenn is currently uh, traveling. He's going to be back soon, I promise. He's not gone. But, uh, yeah, just me for the time being. Bringing you this episode, I spoke with a friend, a guy I'm really starting to like more and more as I get to know him through his books and through his art. A guy named Corey Michael Smithson, or Corey, as I know him. It's interesting to, to, to connect with Corey because he's a pal of my older sister's. And uh, yeah, she is like a, a good connector. She put us together through books. She gave me his book, one of, one of his many books, one of eight. She gave him mine and, and we connected. And I'm really glad we did because he's a, he's a sweetheart and an interesting character. I'm going to read you a couple little passages of the book of his that I've read so far called The Pamela Diaries. It's, it's a lot of things, man. It's a, it's a crazy road trip book about a guy who did not learn how to drive until he was 42. And then, yeah, it, it's worth picking up. The Pamela Diaries, you can get it on his website. You can get it on Amazon. I'll put links up in, our, uh, in the show notes. But just, just real quick, uh, this first passage is from a chapter called A Pocket Full of Loss. I pulled out my phone and scrolled through the long, sad list of uncalled numbers, realizing how much time had passed, how many friendships had withered away through forgetfulness or distraction or self-absorption. For all its pleasures, Memphis also represents a particularly grievous sin, an unpardonable sin, the sin of neglect. I could see it in the old collapsing buildings and in poor William's vacant lot and in the vandalized graveyard, and in my phone book. There were too many absent, missing, or dead friends staring me in the face. I was holding all of these voids in my palm, all of these empty spaces, fighting back tears of regret. And when I slid my phone back into my jeans, it felt like I was filling my pockets full of holes. Yeah, that one spoke to me, uh, not just because it references Memphis and feelings that I feel about Memphis, but uh, yeah, man, that was, that I just, uh, that resonated with me for a number of reasons. And it's just one example of a lot of great writing and um, evocative storytelling in this book. And to lighten the mood, I'll give you another quick passage from uh, a chapter called Leaps of Faith that I just, I don't know, I'll just give it to you. Since nobody was waiting behind us, I wanted to take a slight pause at the threshold, just a brief moment where I could close my eyes, focus, and acknowledge the significance of what was happening. I was 43 years old, lost in America, homeless, again, living out of my car and conquering my fear by jumping out of an airplane. DJ was, well, DJ was getting paid to do what he loved. Two strangers some 400 pounds of clumsily bundled man-meat. We're about to take a 13,000-foot step together. Clumsily bundled man-meat. It's pretty funny. Anyhow, I, uh, I had a great time talking to Corey. I want you to go out there and get a book. Tell him what you think. Reach out to Corey. It makes a big difference when you let someone know how uh, whatever it is they make affected you. Corey is a, is a fantastic painter. He's a great writer, obviously, and just a, a sensitive guy who's got his finger on a lot of different pulses. 
And uh, I know he would appreciate hearing from you if you've got anything to say. So do that. You can go to our website, rbwpod.com, and click all the links that'll take you to Corey's website and his various works. It's uh, coreymichaelsmithson.com. Yeah, it, it was good. It was good times. Um, all is well in life. I hope you're doing well out there. I'm going to keep this as short as possible and get you right to the episode. All right. Uh, more good things coming up, I promise. Stay tuned. Until next time, adios. Just every once in a while, I look at the screen. If I'm going like this, it's fucked up. <laughs> if you're waving frantically, we know things are going all right. Right. That or I'm really having a great time. <laughs> so, Corey, Michael Smithson, I'm, uh, I'll start by saying I'm a little jealous of you having kind of like a, a last name, last name. Because you know, I've got two first names in my name, Andrew Paul. But my last name is like an object. It's not a, it's not a yeah, last name. Yeah, you have a name. noun. You have a noun. That's cool. Just, yeah, but yours is like... You're the son of a maker, Smith. You're Smith's <laughs> son. I was at a party once, and there was a my hostess was named Fawn, delightful, delightful lady. Her name was Fawn. Fawn, and we were kind of talking about names. And someone pointed out, "Oh, this is really cool. Your name is a is a noun." And I had had a little bit to drink at the time, and I also yelled out, "It's also a verb!" And it was like a record, a really loud record scratch in the middle of the party. So oh, I've been yeah. cautious ever since about pointing out things about people's names like that. My yeah. apologies, Fawn. You're delightful. I love you dearly. <laughs> Cut it out, Fawn. Just have a normal reaction. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, man. And uh, your name, while interesting, is not the most interesting thing about you. You've written, I don't know, how, what, five, six books? How many books have you written? Uh, eight books so far. Eight so it's books. Three, three memoirs, three novels, a collection of short stories and a collection of poetry. And I just actually published a non-writing book yesterday. I just published a hardcover of my paintings. Um, I spent four years in Florida working on a series of 100 paintings, black and white illustrations, all rendered using only two pigments. And so for four years, I was really focused on finishing this series. And yesterday, I, I finally compiled all of them into one hardcover book. It's the first time that all of them have been kind of appearing together in print. So that would be my ninth book, but that's sure. that's a bit separate than everything else sure. um, that's available so far. Are those your paintings that I'm looking at behind you? Yeah, these are ones that are in progress. So um, wow. these are ones that I'm, that I'm still working on. Oh, that's moment. cool to see. That's nice. That it's like a rare glimpse. Do you, do you often <laughs> let people see your work that you're not finished with? <laughs> no, actually, that's very rarely. As a matter yeah. of fact. This is a small studio, so I'm I'm coming at you from my studio in Q in Tennessee, and it's a it's a pretty tight little space, and I share it. I'm sharing at the moment with three of our four dogs. So right. there's tumbleweeds <laughs> of dog hair uh, yeah. gathering around every object in the room. It's kind of a bitch when it comes to varnishing my paintings, and I'm constantly like plucking dog hairs out of yeah. wet canvas as I'm working. Um, but I'm grateful to have a space. You yeah. know, I, yes. all I really require in this world is a space to work. Mm-hmm. And some some mobility. That's all yeah. I really need. I don't need a whole lot. And and the love of friends. Um, the space I had in Florida was grand. It was cute. I had beautiful windows looking out over a pool and a little garden. And it was Florida. It was like you know this yeah. this sort of island paradise that I was living on. 
And that studio was pretty hard to beat. It was very spacious, great light throughout the entire day. And as I said, I looked out over a pool. And at any moment where I had too much pain, I could just strip off my clothes, walk butt naked out the door, and fall into some cool water. Oh, so nice. I don't have that situation here uh, on Main Street, USA, in Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm grateful to have the studio space that I have and the company that I get to keep. Um, my partner and I have four handicapped dogs. Right. Um, blind deaf blind and deaf and neurotic and uh they're they're a lot they they keep life interesting that's for certain and and because they really want to be near me while i'm working you know i can't really get a lot of deep concentration on my painting i'm always sort of like one eye is wandering over the side like okay what's this dog about to do you know (laughs) he's about to bump into my canvas you know blind dog is just gonna smash his ass right into my easel and knock my stroke astray oh man well, that's a good title for a, a book, Knock My Stroke Astray. So, uh, I, I'm familiar now with uh, with two of your um, your memoir and um, memoirs, two of your books, memoirs? both yeah. of the memoir and uh, and a third book, um, a fiction. And I got to say, I've um, the more I read and I'm not looking for necessarily similarities between us, but there are quite a few um there are a number of similarities between us. Yeah, definitely. With the exception that you're a very talented painter, which uh, I am. Well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I quite liked the Pamela Diaries. There's a number of things in that book that I'd like to talk to you about, but uh, we don't have. To, I don't have to just necessarily lead you through your memoir if, if that's not your your thing. There's plenty we can talk about. But I'm. Uh, I found myself recently not traveling you know i'm just i'm at home i'm working mm-hmm. on stuff and i'm uh you know like you i spent a long time on the road and i've come to really appreciate those little things like a shower a toilet that's the same toilet every day you know having a space to create whatever it is that you're creating those little things that you might not always um fully appreciate until you don't have them around regularly absolutely absolutely so, I've I've come to I've been thinking a lot about travelers. My wife just spent three weeks traveling in Spain and Morocco, um, and I just uh, and that's the, something I'm jealous about. I those are those are two places I'm really eager to go. Really yeah, sure. want to go to Morocco very yeah. very much, and so I'm I'm glad that she got the opportunity to go do that. She fell in love with it. She had a great time, and while I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm at home in my very happy space thinking about traveling and the. What I, what I always found, and I, I don't know if maybe you found something similar when you're traveling and you meet people who are travelers but are currently not traveling, their their way of getting back on the road is to host you, you know, for you to mm. come and stay with them. They get mm. that little mm. moment of what it was like to be about, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I, I don't have That's the... beautiful thought. It is a beautiful thought, and it's been a beautiful thing to experience as a traveler to come into the home of travelers who have invited you specifically because they want you to share your journey with them. I found it specifically mm-hmm. in cycling. It's like a big thing. Like cyclists. Will oh, have right. You're, other... yeah, you've been a, a long distance cyclist for a while. Cyclist for a while. Yeah. I hate to say cyclist. It, it almost sounds like I'm more invested than I am or does sound like I'm more <laughs> invested than I am. I like riding my bicycle and I'll do it for as long <laughs> as I can. But um, uh, yeah. So those people will invite you into their home and like, you know, host you and the, the, the unwritten rules that you're exchanging story and kind of give them, mm-hmm. giving them that feel of like a campground, you know, when you're out and about and you meet other travelers. 
So that is a long-winded way of saying that my means of doing that right now, since I don't have a place to host people and I don't have travelers coming through, is this. So uh, you're one of multiple travelers who I'll be talking to uh, here. I about. feel really, I feel really honored to be in that company. Uh, I think, I think being a traveler is a spiritual calling. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not just something that's happening to you circumstantially. It's something that you are drawn to do. It's, it's, it's a, it becomes a very deep part of your, your soul to be well, a traveler. Yeah, I, and I, and I think that that this is what this is what brings you and I together as yes. friends is that we both we both are travelers and in, in one way or another, and we have to go through periods of relative uh, stability stasis. You know, we have to be kind of in yeah. one one spot for a while, um, and there's a part of us that will always be wandering. And if we have to do it uh, just in our minds through our conversation, or in my case through writing and painting, you know, yeah. just appearing into worlds of my own making in my studio. Yeah. Um, We'll always find a way of traveling. And even if it's happening through the vehicle of conversation, um, yes. nothing can stop us from, from wandering somehow. Yes. Our minds and our hearts will always be searching and, and moving yeah. about. So, so my wife just got home yesterday. I picked her up from the airport mm-hmm. almost, almost exactly 24 hours ago. And she's exhausted, not just from uh-huh. the flight back from Spain, but from uh, just her journey what she was describing to me, I was like, you know, you didn't, that wasn't a vacation. You're not going on vacation. You're on an adventure. Now I'd like to hear you maybe talk about what you perceive as the difference between those two things. Cause I've done both. I've had fuck about times where I just, I just am going somewhere to sit down basically. Mm-hmm. And then other times where I'm, I'm on that quest, that journey that you were just talking about. Do you have like a sense of that or, or have I you think- ever vacationed? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I, I've never thought of what I do as vacationing ever. Um, in fact, a, a former partner of mine, I was, in, I was in a really toxic relationship for a while, and he described my journey through India as an irresponsible vacation. And I was so deeply offended at this. Gross. Because it, it's like I felt that that the the experience I had in India was was an artwork from yeah. beginning to end. I mean, the, I the entire reason why I went was to go get lost and to push myself, push my boundaries, to expand myself, to, um, to learn, to, to seek. I, I went there with no itinerary, no understanding of what I was walking into, uh, no, no real roadmap. I spent two months backpacking across India alone and letting circumstance carry me from place to place. You know, yeah. like the road sort of kept revealing itself about where I was supposed to go next. I did have a couple of bucket list items that were on there. Like I was really clear that I needed to get to the city of Varanasi at some point. That was, that was the dead center of my odyssey was I had to get to, to Benares. But um, I didn't really have any other clear itinerary. And I think the difference between a tourist and a traveler is that a, a tourist itinerizes, whereas a traveler responds. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, Paul Bowles, the writer Paul Bowles, had said, that the travel, and I'm paraphrasing here, this is sure. not a direct quote, but effectively he was saying that a tourist is someone who's always traveling with the expectation of coming back home kind of the same way that they left. Whereas a traveler doesn't really know how they're going to return or if they're going to return or what they're returning to. The traveler is always seeing life anew. Um, I, I love getting lost. Getting lost is my favorite thing to do. My is very it? favorite thing to do. Yeah, I love it. I love, I love being lost. And I don't mean being lost, like being stuck in the woods, you know, uh, alone in the scary environment with a flashlight shivering in the cold. Yeah. I mean, lost in the sense of of not really knowing where you are, not truly understanding where you are and having to to learn and react 
to the direct environment. I think when you're lost, you become a lot more porous. I think that you your receptors become more more open. You your senses kick into hyperdrive. Suddenly, you're seeing and hearing and smelling and sensing things in a whole different way. Um, you pick up more detail. You're much more open to change and possibility. You're able to pivot better. Yeah. I think when you get to a place of being really lost, you kind of surrender to it. You say, "Well, here I am. What's happening around me?" And and truly paying attention. Uh, that's when the good stuff happens. And the best journeys I've been on are ones in which I didn't have a really clear sense of where I was going from day day to day. I didn't have a very clear destination in mind. It's like, no, I, I'm going to go out this direction. I'm going to start in this direction and we'll see where things guide me. We'll see where the road takes me. Uh, and that's, those are the adventures that I've had that have been the most rewarding and the most yeah. surprising. You know, if I, if I was to go someplace with a very clear uh, set of objectives and be like, well, I want to do this and want to do this. And wanna, I want to tick these items off of my list. Um, if I, if I went with a much stronger itinerary, I think I would be losing on the opportunity of discovery. And, and discovery to me is the great sure. reward of adventure, you know? Um, and, and, and discovery can, can happen on all sorts of scales. It can happen uh, on, on big life-changing ways, or it can be very, very small, very personal epiphanies, you know, sure. um, small, small movements of the soul, like Jane Austen said. Again, I'm paraphrasing. This is not a direct quote. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> but I can't quote. I don't have it in me to quote at all. Yeah, I don't even quote either. So Everything's I'm, I'm a paraphrase. Some very sloppy paraphrases. But I, I do like this idea that that some of the, the the greatest treasures in your life happen in the smallest moments. You know, yeah, the little, little moments, little moments of grace, little moments of of growth or awareness, and traveling opens all those kinds of opportunities up. Plus, you get to make new friends. Right. You get to see uh, you get to see other ways of living. You get to um, expand your frame of reference uh, so that you're not stuck in one narrow mode mode of thinking. Yeah. Um, love tasting new flavors. I love seeing things I've never seen before. Uh, any opportunity to go somewhere I've never gone before, I'm gonna take it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really jealous of your wife going to Morocco. I'm glad she had a safe experience. I'm sure she's exhausted, but. I think over time, her experiences are going to kind of percolate through her memory. And she's oh, like, yeah. wow, that was, was life changing. That was really great, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, any any opportunity you get to challenge, well, first of all, to even like realize that you have an assumption about a thing and then to challenge mm-hmm. it because you don't you don't see them. You don't even are mm-hmm. you're not necessarily present with your assumptions because that's that's why they are assumptions. <laughs> you assume mm-hmm. it and you set it aside. And don't think about it. But when you're traveling and um, unsure of where next is or where you are, you know, those those types of things do challenge what you assume to be the case in consensus mm-hmm. reality. You know, you find, oh, actually, I'm perceiving myself in a way that's not correct. I'm actually, mm-hmm. I am a monster or I am a sweetheart <laughs> or I am whatever, you know, um, you know, to, to like to see yourself reflected in the eyes of you know, a person in the third world where your problems, whatever you consider to be the thing that you're troubled by, whether it's, you know, an interpersonal relationship, depression or inconvenience, inconvenienced, God forbid, you're yeah, inconvenienced. That's a big one. Yeah. you know, to take also your petty, to take your petty inconvenience and face a person who doesn't have a wheelbarrow, but has to haul rocks, yeah. you know, yeah. you suddenly you realize it's like that weird blind spot mirror where you can say, oh, God, I'm an asshole. 
Uh-huh. Look, at look at there. I there's go. a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for self discovery, yeah. uh, and and there's a lot of opportunity for you to disrupt your prejudices. You know <laughs> that once once that were maybe invisible to you that you didn't realize you were carrying uh, preconceptions and prejudices uh, can be broken apart by travel. Yeah. Um, especially again if you go with the attitude of getting lost. If you go with the attitude of um, the, like the less luggage you carry with you to a place, the the more you can bring back with you. Sure. And and I, I like this idea that you know, when you go to a new environment, especially one that's challenging on, on any level, it's challenging physically mm-hmm. or challenging emotionally, psychologically, um, you end up having uh, you end up having the chance to really bust apart some calcified ideas in mm-hmm. your in your mind about what it means to be a person in the world. I mean, yeah. a third world country, uh, you know, for a Westerner, for an American, that can be an really overwhelming experience. India was hard, man. India was tough. I, I thought I was a pretty tough guy, but wow, India really put me through the ringer. Yeah. But I'm extremely grateful for the experiences I had there. I was surprised over and over again by people's capacities, you know, how resourceful people could be. Yes. I, I was surprised at how generous people could be to strangers, how welcoming, how communicative and um, loving. I mean, I, I just met some of the most wonderful people while I was over mm-hmm. there, and they were very they were very supportive of me, especially because if I extended any degree of curiosity, then they were so helpful. And, and I, I just, I, I had so many, so many ideas about human nature just completely upended because people were surprising me over and over again with kindness and with perception. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a life-changing experience. I'm really lucky that I survived it because it was, it was a really hairy at times, but I'm, I'm so blessed for having gone. And that was a complete leap of faith. Um, the reason why I ended up in India was because I was homeless in New York. I had, I had this really weird situation where I could not find a place to live. Uh, for those of you who have never lived in New York, the vacancy rate for housing stock is like less than half of 1%. So That's at it. any given moment, yeah. There's it a tiny little fraction yeah. uh, of, of, of housing stock that's available. And the competition for it's really fierce. Damn. So you, you have to snatch up every opportunity you can to find what? a place to live. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And I, it, for me, it wasn't working out. This would, yeah. have been, this would have been the autumn of 2011. Mm-hmm. So I, was, I started being homeless in September 2011. And I was in Mumbai by December 6th of that year. And that's I was there cool. until February 6th. That's some cold nights. That's some cold, cold nights. It was tough. Nights. It was kind of, kind yeah. of shitty. I, I was lucky because I had I had some friends who would let me couch surf or I would stay in the parks. I mean, if on warm autumn nights, I would just like sleep in Prospect Park yeah. if I could. Or yeah. just walk all night through the city streets. But I did have I did have friends who let me couch surf for a while, which is great. But I, I had this crazy situation where I couldn't find a place to live. I looked at like, there were like 72 missed opportunities in the space of, 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 of yeah. one month of September trying to find a place to live. Wow. And I was staying with a friend of mine in in uh, Hamilton Heights, Manhattan, mm-hmm. and I'd been having these really crazy, vivid dreams about India—really, really strange dreams—and dreams in particular of Ganesha, uh, the the Hindu god Ganesha. And it seemed like there were there were these dreams in which this figure was beckoning me, saying, yeah, "I got something to show you. Come on over, buddy. I got I got I got things like such sights sight to show you." And I was telling my friend this, my friend uh, who was my host had been to India and I was telling her, I was like, yeah, I'm having these really crazy dreams that I, I get a feeling like I should be going there. And she said, dude, you don't even have a house plant. 
Like you yeah. don't you don't have yeah. a lease. You, yeah. You're single. You don't have any pets. You don't have any utility bills in your main. And I was working. That was a crazy thing. I was actually working a lot. So I was earning all this money. And I had like by by the time December rolled, I had like four grand in my bank account, and no, I didn't I didn't have a bill in my name. Nice. And suddenly it was like. Well, actually, I, go. <laughs> I could do this. I could actually go. Yeah. Like, I could go live like a king in, you know, in India, yeah. especially if I was in, this is not a word I would normally associate with me, but if I was frugal, yeah. if I was practical uh, with my money, I could actually make it less. So as soon as I made the decision, everything sort of lined up and I was suddenly in the middle of Mumbai with zero idea what the fuck I was doing there, what I was, where I was going to go from there. And the everything kind of expanded from there. And I started yeah. writing essays um, while I was there just as a way of sort of um, making a, a diary, like a living diary of my experience. And I, I did it at first, you know, for entirely um, simple reasons. I kind of wanted to let people know that I was still alive. Like, hey, I'm okay. I haven't, yeah. I haven't like disappeared into the second black hole of Calcutta yet. But then as, as time went on, as I started kind of moving through the country, the essays started getting more and more formed, and I started kind of realizing this is a this is a means by which I can communicate my experience. I can I can distill some of the things that I'm I'm learning here and share them with people. And my mission became increasingly focused then. And by the time I left India, I had this whole collection of essays, and I knew I had a book, and and I knew I could put this together into into a book. And people had been reading as I was going, you know, because I was posting these things online, and. This is a formula that I would end up repeating through my subsequent memoirs. Yeah. So Lost Among Marigolds was the first, and then I did Relish Vices, which was very essay-focused. And then the third, the one that you read, The Pamela Diaries, um, that was, again, going back to this sort of diaristic format where I was like, I'm going to try to report very immediately my experience. I'm going to try to record it as quickly as I can in order to preserve details and also for it to be more authentic so that it would not suffer the distortions of memory and distance. Right. And I could kind of give a yeah. much more immediate, much more honest uh, yeah. depiction of my experience. Well, so you, I've not read Lost Among the Marigolds, but in the Pamela Diaries, you reference Ganesha. And uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Ganesha as the remover of obstacles. And I've had Ooh. all this Ganesha Im imagery in my life for a while. And what I didn't realize in a friend of mine pointed out when he visited my house i had this big huge thing of ganesha and he's like i, I really like that you have that because you're a, you're a writer and i was like i mean i you know i, I have a hard time t saying i'm a writer but i do write you're absolutely a writer and, and he was like no no i mean because of the ganesha i was like what do you mean he's like you know he was a divine scribe he was a scribe yeah and you know yeah. he's like you know, he's, that's why his trunk his uh his tusk is broken off because he broke it yeah. to dip in ink and write the story so I, uh -huh. I I find that kind of interesting that your call to action, your uh, your your trigger was Ganesha. Yeah, he's he's a buddy of mine. I love him so much, and you know I I, I always feel like I have to kind of uh, couch the, my relationship with him in, in a little carefully because uh, I, I have to I have to sort of put some parameters around because I'm not I'm not I'm not a Hindu. I don't have the depth of understanding of his origin story of, of his really, of his place in the Hindu pantheon. I only know what I know about him from my experiences on the road and the, and the, the sheltering hand that I feel sure. he put around me. But I, I picked him as an organizing force for the universe. You know, God's 
and deities are basically faces that we place on chaos, you know, sure. in order to give us focus, in order to to create uh, a, a, an anthropomorphic version right. of reality, you know, for our yeah. comfort, safety, and 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 sanity. Right. Um, Ganesha, in in my mind, is, has always been a very benevolent figure. I've always liked that he has this this impish sense of humor and this kindness about him. He just he seems very jolly. He seems very warm. Um, I love him being the Lord of obstacles. And and not only is he the one who removes the obstacles, he's the one who puts the right ones in your path. It's like he shapes your road. He shapes your journey by constantly removing obstacles and putting ones in, in the place. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in having a relationship with him, you know, being, being the, the, the face that I choose for the cosmos and just understanding very much that I am borrowing him from Hinduism. I totally understand that. I'm just like cherry picking this holy figure from an entire religious uh, system, an entire cosmology. And I, I I do that with respect and reverence, but I also do that understanding. Like, I don't know dick about Hinduism. I just kind of pick my favorite guy from it. Yeah. You're not out there preaching. It's, you know, it's Uh, like, I I really, I cannot, I cannot speak at any length about Hinduism, but I can say that Ganesha in my mind, is this figure of of organization of opening things? He's someone who uh, is is a benevolent protector, a guide, a companion, and I, he yeah. shows up everywhere for me. And especially after I after I traveled so extensively through India and saw him everywhere there. Now, after having left India, he is constantly popping up. <clears throat> um, a friend of mine from uh, Kolkata gave me a little crystal uh, Ganesha that I carry with me everywhere. I carry this little little guy with me everywhere. Pull that out of your pocket. And, this, yeah, he's, he's in my pocket every day. Um, and and every time I start my car, I have a prayer that I say to him. I mean, I literally say a prayer to Ganesha every time I start the engine of my car. And, um, but he he pops up all the time because I traveled so far through India. I've I've traveled through so many different uh, states of the of the country um, and met people from there. Whenever I'm traveling in America, I'm constantly running into people from these different places I've been. Especially like when I stay at a hotel or something like a small family-owned hotel, oh, yeah. uh, the family would be from Gujarat, and I'll be like, "Hey, I've seen yeah. your state. I know what it yeah. looks like. It's really pretty." Yeah. And there'll be like a Ganesha statue, like winking yes. at me from the corner or something. And the Pamela Diaries that happens all the time. I'm constantly yes. like running into these weird little like you know hand waves from him, like, "Hey, girl, I'm here. It's cool. You know, I'm, I'm with you." <laughs> well, let's let's talk about your your obstacles, and and I, I'm I'm a big fan of the. Uh, that Northern India contingent that has come here and started so many little hotels. I've started oh, with, with many of them. I mean, it's such a beautiful yeah. thing. I had a guy tell me once he had his family, his, his like mother and father who were extremely old had come to the middle of nowhere, Texas to stay with him. Uh, and mm-hmm. at this little roadside motel and we rode in our bikes, my, my wife and I have showed up on our bikes, dusty and hot. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Oh my God, what are, you're, you're on your bicycle. Please stay. And they brought us food and they cooked all this gorgeous Indian food, and, you know. Brought oh, yeah. They said that a guest is a god. It's like a guest is a type of god, and the way yeah, they, that it was. I love so, that sensibility. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that thought. I didn't. I didn't really understand that. Um, I had kind of heard that mentioned before I went to India, but I, I encountered that over and over again. Yeah. Um, this idea that that the holy is hidden in the everyday, and that yeah. every person you encounter has some divinity within them, and yeah. I think that that. People, people, when I was in, in India, I met a lot of people in the hospitality industry, obviously, and be, you know, befriended a lot of concierges and a lot of you know people who worked in staff, hotel staff, mm-hmm. and many of them told me that the Indian government and the tourism board had kind of been bolstering that a lot lately. The sort of mm-hmm. sense of this, this sort of idea saying, you know, you, you really should try to 
keep that idea in mind because you, you really want to bring in people from all over the world to come experience India and so forth. Yeah. But I think it's, it's such a beautiful idea, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's one I wish that, that all humans would keep in mind all the time. Like every person you meet 100%. has divinity yeah. within them. Every person you meet has some degree yeah. of holiness, you know, yeah. and, and beauty waiting to be discovered. Yeah. It's hard to do. It's hard to keep that in your mind at all times, you know, because yeah. you get frustrated and irritable and yeah, inconvenience, <laughs> man. Americans, yeah. they just really need our convenience. Oh man. Um, as mean, far as as far as I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it was just funny to run into that in the middle of I mean, almost literally the middle of nowhere in Texas to suddenly be, you know, in this other world of appreciation for the guest and uh, you know uh-huh. that they had an awareness of the the Hindu pantheon and, and had a way of sharing it with you that was not the proselytizing that you might get from other faiths. You right. Know, it was it was yeah. no there was no sell. There was no pitch. Yeah. It was just Yeah, just just generosity. Just kindness yeah. and generosity and interest. Loving awareness. I love my favorite quality in human beings is curiosity. Yeah. It's my very favorite quality. I love yeah. that. I love curious people. I think the lack of curiosity is is to me one of the the deadliest aspects of a person. And um I, one of the things that, that struck me again and again traveling through India and then, you know, coming into contact with the Indian diaspora, you know, in America and meeting so many Indian Americans um, is that curiosity. Like, like people are curious about where you're from, what you do, yeah. how you got there. But there, it's, it's a curiosity wow. that's, that here? has like a, yeah, why are you here? How, how did you get here? And yeah. I love that because those are the kinds of questions I want to know about somebody. How did you get here? And, and it's funny, some some people are very offended by those questions. And, and I've, I've been surprised sometimes by meeting uh, immigrants from other countries uh, when I, and I, or, or even, even people who from uh, Americans, uh, born Americans who have traveled from other parts of the country and landed somewhere. And when I ask like, how did you get here? Where are you from? Tell me about that. They get really offended. Like somehow it's like uh, very intrusive to ask, mm-hmm. how did you arrive here? When it's really meant as a, as a show of uh, interest. And respect, like respectful yeah. interest. Like, sure. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Like, that, tell me your yeah. story. How, that's, how did that's you arrive here? Less a reflection on you than like other. There, there are aspects of curiosity that are not so nice. That are like defining. Sure. Where's my border? Where's yours? It's, mm-hmm. it's the other othering type of thing, which which brings me to my uh, my. So I've got a I've got actually got notes, man. I don't normally do this. Okay. Just shit I want to okay. talk to you about. So, <laughs> speaking of you and your obstacles, I mean, for one, in the Pamela Diaries, you, you're you're no spring chicken. You and I are mm-hmm. probably about the same age. You're, I'm you're, 49. Okay. How old are you? Close. Now? Yeah, I'm 44. And <laughs> okay, we're, yeah, we're, we're close enough. Staring down the barrel at our second century, dude. You're you're a high school career oh. ahead of me. But you learned oh. to drive in uh at the age of 42. You were like 40. Yeah, yeah. I was 42, so yeah. You learned to drive and then took an enormous multi-year road trip, right? Like the, the, yeah, the very long lost. road trip. Yeah. So you've had got that barrier in front of you that you you went from not knowing how to drive to learning how to drive, purchasing your vehicle at like the same day. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then... Yeah, pretty, tackling, pretty close after, yeah. Yeah, tackling that road trip. You've also written about... Um, and it's a word, man. I know I'm, I'm like in the Bay Area. Um, should be like mm-hmm. super hip. I consider myself a progressive guy, but saying the word queer. I grew up in in Mississippi, where it was yeah, not, it's a lowest word. It was it's not really nice. Word, it was not nice. Yeah. So I'm still like finding my the acclimating yourself. <laughs> you're the Bay Area man. There are whole taxonomies of people's identity. There, there, I know, it's, I know. it's really funny, and people get really people get really uptight about it if if you sort of mislabel them, and and yeah. these labels are 
are constantly getting uh, they're granulated, smaller and, and smaller, granulated. Yeah. Perfect word, perfect word, I, granulated. And, yeah. And I can look. I I appreciate it because I get where a lot of it is coming from because I've I do to the best of my ability because I grew up as a white dude with almost no you know nothing confining me in my in my identity. I was not suffering from my identity in any way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel real fortunate for that. And I want to have as much empathy for people. So if, I, if someone bristles at me saying the wrong thing, I, I approach it with humility, like, oh, sure. And then we just move on to, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully they can understand that I'm coming from a place of like openness and I'm not, mm-hmm. this isn't, this isn't a certain person. <laughs> There's no yeah. certainty in my presentation. I'm clearly a floundering idiot. <laughs> But oh, you're a very sincere guy, and I think that that must come through too, though. But people are so eager to be offended; it's sure, amazing. Like, sure. there's there's a certain um, there's certain identity that comes with offense. Like, it, like somehow it bolsters your own identity, your own your own self identity, your own self actualization to be offended and triggered by things. It's really right. striking. I mean, I'm I'm a red blooded American faggot. I you know I've been part of this of the, the LGBTQIA plus yeah. plus tried for a long time uh, i came out when i was 16 like the height right. of the aids crisis the reagan yeah. bush years came out during a really tough time wow. to be a, a, a kid and even for me in this tribe i'm really struck at the divisiveness and the the um priggishness and the tone policing and the finger wagging and the political right. correctness it's kind of striking and people are are ready to bristle about things so yeah. I wouldn't take it personally. I know you're a nice guy. I know you mean well. It comes across yeah. in so many things of who you are and how you write and, and the nature of the, the show that you host and everything. Just your whole persona is very warm and enveloping and embracing. And so I know that if a guy like you is making people bristle, it's not really about you. <laughs> it's really about kind of their, their own need to well, feel like, I'm, I'm a victim too. I'm yeah. struggling too. We all, we all love to be martyrs for where sure, I'm sure, And I'm just as guilty of this as oh, anyone. Yeah. So I get it, yeah. but I'm my, my boyfriend and I, my boyfriend and I roll our eyes about this shit all the time. We're constantly, yeah. we're constantly rolling our eyes at our own community yeah. about how like uptight it's gotten. But well, I mean, anyway, yeah. I digress. No, Sorry. it's cool. I mean, even in like a little tiny, you know, um, hunter gatherer vi- village, people are making fun of each other. You know, <laughs> it's normal to, to, to have, you know, gripes with how your community gets on. But so yeah. it, it, in relation to your obstacles. You know, and it's, okay, it's, yeah. it's absurd to even think about the notion that what you want to do with your genitals is somehow an obstacle in life. But I'm certain you have faced it. I mean, you're in the South, for Christ's yeah. sake. You've you've spent a lot of time in the South. I think you're, what, from the Pacific Northwest somewhere? I am from the Pacific Northwest, yeah, but I've, I've lived in a lot of different places. Yeah, this is my been. second stint in Tennessee, actually. So I met, uh, I met your sister in Memphis when I was living in right. Memphis, going to undergrad right. in Memphis. I lived there for five years from 96 to 2001. And it was a really profound culture shock for me. Anyway, yeah. to get back to the, the issue of genitals, my favorite, one of my very favorite topics, actually. Um, it's, it is it is really surprising how up in arms people get uh, about other people's sexuality. It's so strange, the, the kind of private, intimate moments that we have for ourselves and amongst each other mm-hmm. should be fodder for anyone else's um, mm-hmm. anger or, or vitriol. I mean, it's, it's, it's so surprising how upset people get at what happens behind closed doors. Yeah. And some of it may be a mixture of jealousy, and some of it may be bad social conditioning, bad imprinting yeah. from, from religion, from, uh, from culture, from class. I mean, like, oh, there's all sorts yeah. of different layers to this pound cake here. Right. Um, 
it's really sad. I think one of the one of the gifts that being queer has given me is that it put me at a slight remove from mainstream civilization. And I, I say this as again, somebody who was born in nineteen seventy-four who came out, you know, at, at a very tumultuous, um, violent time mm-hmm. in our history, when there was suddenly a lot of focus on the issue of sexual orientation and gender identity. This is like this laser laser intense focus suddenly. Um and, and it had been politicized and weaponized and um because of AIDS, uh there was like so much hatred directed towards, you know, the LGBT community and and so much fear about it and superstition about it. So I grew up during this time feeling very much like an outsider and feeling like I was at a bit of a remove from most of civilization. And that's since dissipated a bit. Um, because you know, the, we, we've all grown a little bit and the world's a lot more complicated right. now and we have a lot more awareness than we used to have and right. yay progress. One more thing. Um, but it did leave a mark. It really did. And I sure. think there's, I think it's one of the reasons why I've moved towards the word queer. There's a, there's two reasons why I choose that word. <laughs> one, because of that, that what I was just describing, that kind of sense of being slightly removed. And to me, the word queer has always sounded a bit like a record scratch. It's sort of like. It's just, it's a hard sounding word. Yeah. Um, and there's something a little defiant about choosing to use that word and reclaiming it. Um, the other reason why I use that word is because it's a nice umbrella term. Because I don't really identify, I don't really put myself in one camp or the other. I'm kind of in this middle ground between masculine and feminine, between gay and straight. <coughs> I mean, I could identify as bisexual if I wanted to, but it sounds a little clinical. I use the word homosexual very much tongue in cheek, you know. Um, my my former partner and I were arguing over the specific shade of aubergine for our library for like two weeks. We were getting pretty uptight about it. And I, I pointed this out to a friend of mine. I was like, yeah, I and I just can't agree on the shade of aubergine. And she's like, really? I said, yes, we're, we're homosexuals. <laughs> That's kind of the only way I ever use that word. You know, it's just a little bit, uh, maybe a slight, mm-hmm. a, a slight bit of self-disparagement. Yeah. Um, but I like the word queer just because it's uh, it's kind of this umbrella term that describes many other aspects of who I am. It also sounds, uh, you know, uh, delightfully odd in the British sense of queer, kind of like right. uh, a bit queer. queer. Yeah, yeah. A bit queer. Um, it is a word that does have kind of a, a, a strange undercurrent of malevolence in it, though, that I'm I'm aware of. You know, it's like yeah. you can't really drop the word faggot without immediately thinking of violence or immediately thinking of hatred or something. Right. There's, there's, it's got, it's got kind of a, a loaded shotgun shell inside of it. You know, it, it, it's funny um, that they're both British terms of a, a yeah, faggot. Wasn't it faggot like a burning, something burned? Like it's a bundle burnt? of sticks. Yeah. It's a bundle, bundle of, of sticks. Bundle of sticks for Kindle. Yeah. And then there's, the there's would a, be oddness. Yeah. Queer is just oddness. Yeah. And I, yeah. I kind of like that, that, that dimension of the word too. I do too. And I just, I've got like, I mean, your cultural imprint on it is obviously much more, uh, much deeper and a bit, I mean, quite a bit more uh, substantive, but mine, you know, it, it, it stuck, you know, there was smear the queer as a kid, they you know, oh, yeah, totally. throw a ball in the air and whoever caught I it. That one in a minute. I know. Right. So now when I hear, you know, people are like, Oh, I'm, you know, the word queer is like, and what you should use, the word you should use. And I'd always found it to be like mean. I didn't like, I didn't like. You don't have to. Called, but no, I don't. I mean, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I, it's good to chat. Like I said, challenge the assumption. This is well, the this is I guess we're covering. You know? The operative word though is should. I mean, who's telling you you should use a word? That's, well, you know. 
Yeah, that's true. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is um, the, the the power that you're taking back from the word is a thing I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Like that's a Lenny Bruce thing. Like, hey, you're giving that word too much power. Let's yeah. take it back. And it, it yeah. can mean whatever the fuck I feel like it means. And there we go. You know, and that, yeah, you can charge you can charge words with whatever meaning you want. Sure. And, and and I think that's I think that's why I've I've sort of glommed onto that word, because it just for me, it's it's taking a little power back. I mean, I, I had a I had a really rough road as a teenager, as a queer teenager in that time. And that word was certainly leveled at me a lot with yeah. a lot of venom yeah. behind it. Thrown at me a lot queer, of times. The word queer? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. But, like thrown, thrown at me very hatefully. Yeah. But I like that. I mean, because you are in both senses, <laughs> the British sense and in your own sense, <laughs> queer, because you are a quirky. I, I wonder if that's the same etymology, quirky and queer. But you, you've got a quirkiness to you that is not yeah i mean you know that comes from a good place that's a that's a compliment and i appreciate it. that's no that's a real compliment thank you that, appreciate that. that your um your method of getting about in the world is obviously not defined by <laughs> expectation not not even yours you're not your your own expectations are not setting the itinerary you know i'm struggling with that it's funny you should mention that that's actually a topic of a lot of discussion lately in this household um I actually, I actually really do struggle with expectation. Well, my partner, my partner is, it, and I are both in recovery. He's, yeah. I've got, uh, uh, coming on 11 years of sobriety. Oh, congrats. November. He's awesome. got four and a half years of sobriety and, well and we're both tits deep in the recovery community here in, in mm -hmm. uh, Central Tennessee. Uh, but we spend a lot of time talking about expectation because expectation and resentment are really closely tied. Um, and, and, and one of the things that you learn and disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things the that you thing. learn in recovery is, is about the danger of expectation. I'm also trying to learn a little bit about Buddhist thought. I, yeah. I'm not converting to Buddhism, but I'm trying to, to glean some lessons and some insights from Buddhism. And one of the things that I'm learning is about attachment to expectation. Sure. And I've, I've realized that so much of the struggle in my own life has been tied to expectation, unreasonable expectation that I have of the world. Uh, my boyfriend's got a really great phrase he uses. He's like, I'm the dissatisfied customer at the customer service at center of life. You know, like, isn't that beautiful? It's so good. And, and, and I realized we, we both talk about this a lot, how yeah. we've been very embittered by experience. I'm sorry, by, by expectation. Expect and then yeah. experience has, you know, sure. let, it, let us down. Um, the expectation is a really dangerous thing in a lot of ways. And I think when I'm happiest is actually when I'm wondering about, to get back to this principle of getting lost, when I'm wondering about without expectation, yeah. and I'm actually reacting, responding immediately to the emergent circumstances, uh, and I'm not sort of predetermining what my outcomes are going to be, that's when right. I end up being happiest. It's yeah. like when I'm just lost, I'm like, I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm right here. Yeah. And this is what I'm looking at right now. This is what I'm smelling. This is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I'm not projecting into some sort of illusory future what should be happening. Because every time I do that, I'm inevitably disappointed. And when I'm disappointed, I get bitter. When I get bitter, I get bitchy. And when I get bitchy, I sometimes spiral into a complete suicidal meltdown. I mean, that's sure. not an exaggeration. I've been no, really I struggled it. I with it. suicidal depression my entire life. And all of it, really, is tied to expectation. And this is sure. the thing that I've got to, I'm, I'm really trying to work on right now is to get out of expectation, get out of attachment to things. I've gone really far in that direction. I've gone really far away from attachment to physical things, uh, attachment to even to people, 
you know, I mean, I, I love people dearly. I have a lot of people I'm very close to, but even understanding that all things are ephemeral, all relationships right. with physical objects, with possessions, with people, you know, even, even with your own nation, all yeah. of it's ephemeral. Um, and the expectation of continuity, the expectation of possession, the expectation of a favorable outcome. Yeah. yeah. The, the more you wait, the more weight you put on those expectations, the harder it's going to feel when it all crumbles apart. I'm so learning there, the hard way. <laughs> well, there was a there was a passage in your in the Pamela Diaries that struck me when um and I, that's poor word choice. You'll see why in a minute. But um <laughs> when you when you ran over the hair. Oh, and, um, oh and <laughs> terrible pun. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did not mean for that to happen. When, when you don't know where you're going. Girls will take you there. But you beautiful. You uh <laughs> you're reckoning with that moment and i, I know oh, man, man i know that That's moment so, so well like and the way you describe you know you're you did not want it to happen you went from a totally blissful place of driving looking at clouds doing your thing and then you know and you describe yeah. what happened and your your what you have faced after that mm -hmm. happened to me is a uh is an interesting way of sort of illustrating what we're talking about right now with this you know, expectation, you know, it's one thing to expect something from a person or from a situation or from travel or whatever, but occasionally something horrible happens. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as horrible as it was for you to run over that hair, it was quite a bit more horrible for the hair. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, your expectation of the moment did not include that. Mm -hmm. There was no expectation in or around running over mm -hmm. a innocent creature right and yeah. but then suddenly you're facing that and your way of dealing with it was perfectly illustrated that you know how to handle n not being attached to the outcome you don't know what I mean like because you had no oh, well, i'm learning how to handle i don't know that i perfectly know how to handle i'm learning i'm learning better how to handle it through experiences but like this actually it's innate is the is the point that i'm trying to make you're we get in the way of how we react to it we get in the way of because we have expectations mm. of how we how we're supposed to react and how but mm -hmm. when it's when it's so immediate and so you, there's there's no distance between thing happening and you know you turned around to go mm -hmm. see what you've done and uh I, I find that 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 illustrates the very thing you're talking about in that you know having a a, a sense of non-attachment or a sense of um uh not being so dependent on the outcome and more of like mm -hmm. a vulnerability you know being non-attached doesn't mean you're not vulnerable you know mm -hmm. like if, yeah. if i were to try to practice right. some sort of non-attachment with my dog which I, I i'm so far possible from ever <laughs> doing that but it wouldn't mean that i would not be vulnerable to the pain of his his pain you know Absolutely. or the pain yeah. of my yeah. wife or the pain of anyone else i, I want to be open and vulnerable to that you're not necessarily attached to their feeling or attached to my mm -hmm. feeling about them. And uh, I don't know, I, I feel like you've got that in you and you wrote about it in such a way that that it spells it right out. It's funny when someone else reads your writing and they, they read something in it that you weren't necessarily intending on writing. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's just, it's interesting to hear you talk about non-attachment and then to just, I have an example of yeah. you doing it perfectly. Yeah. It, I'm glad that I'm glad that passage um, uh, struck a chord in you. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that 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 chapter spoke to you. It's funny because when I initially all these essays, like the ones that made up um, Lost and Lone Marigolds, were published online, you know, in sort of diaristic form, and then eventually, when I kind of had enough, I collected everything into the Pamela Diaries. 
But when I posted that essay, no one really read it. And this is getting to expectation. This is a really big, heartbreaking lesson for me is about uh, expectation of people's reaction to works that you create. Sure. You know, yeah. like you, you pour your heart and soul, and you know about yeah. this, you pour your heart and soul into things and you really hope that people like it or respond to it. And if they don't, you have to, you know, detach yourself a little bit from, you know, what yeah. those expectations you have been hosting in your heart are all about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that, that essay, for, for the people who haven't read Pamela Diaries yet, um, the essay he's referring to is called Fate of a Hair, and it details how I was storm chasing for a few days in south central Nebraska and western Nebraska, and it talks mostly about the storms that I encountered. You know, I was chasing after uh, severe weather, uh, supercells, uh, supercells, and I, I got into some pretty gnarly situations during those days in Nebraska, some very, very scary, very menacing storms. And... One night when I was in the sand hills, one evening as I was chasing um, a squall line, uh, I accidentally ran over a, a hare on the road. And it just, it was so, it was so immediate. I was singing along to uh, uh, Nat King Cole, you know, just driving down the road, having a grand old time. And then it just hopped right in front of my car. I mean, there's no, absolutely no warning. There's not any time for me to even move my foot to the brake pedal. And I killed this poor rabbit. And it, it was a very painful thing. I mean, I, I love animals. I never would intentionally want to harm an animal. And this was just an accident of fate. And it really brought to mind this idea that this, this animal and I were on this collision course for yeah. the entirety of this animal's life and for a big chunk yeah. of mine. You know, we were all moving in our separate directions, but we were on a road, an inevitable crossing point. Yeah. And that was the end of that rabbit's life. And I'm a very big believer in all life being eternal in the sense that the the molecular dance that makes us up is ongoing. The energy that creates us and animates us is is, is never going to die. And the the atomic bonds that, you know, form these molecules that form this rabbit, they're all going to break apart, but the atoms still exist. The, the, the core elements still exist. And they're just going to be recombined in different forms. And, you know, that that dead hair is going to feed some some scavengers. It's going to feed a lot of insects. It's going to it's going to allow some fungi fung, um, fungi to grow. There's going to be a lot of life that continues um, past the singularity of this animal's death, leading into it and leading out of it. Uh, and and I look at all of life in this way that all of it is just recombinative. All of it is yeah. constantly changing, evolving, ejecting, absorbing. Right. Um, and so this animal had its lifespan, and I my car brought it to an end. And I felt terrible guilt about it for a while and pain because I, I don't want to inflict suffering on any living thing. God, right. that's just it's awful. But I, I came to a piece of understanding that this was this was the road for this animal and I. This is our meeting point, you know. Mm -hmm. And it brought to mind my own mortality. It brought to mind the mortality of all things that I've consumed, all the animals I've ever eaten, all the plants I've ever eaten, all the things that will eventually consume me. Mm -hmm. um, that we are always at these, you know, crossing points. Um, there's this beautiful, complicated, glittering plexus of connection between things. Um, and for some reason, this animal's death brought that all into sharp focus. And right. it was against this extremely dramatic backdrop of tornadic thunderstorms right. and lightning right. and the beauty of, uh, of South Central Nebraska. Uh, so I'm really glad that essay spoke to you because at the time I posted it, no one read it. It was really weird. Like, no one read that essay. And I was so bummed oh. out. I was like, yeah, I just... I'm, my heart soul into it. <laughs> I'm just sensitive enough to know exactly what that feels like and enough of a smart ass to say, look, plenty of murderers have tried to convince themselves of the same thing that <laughs> you're just inevitable. This, ha this must happen. 
So I get it. You know, it got you know, to the point, you know, I, it's, I, that's my mind too. I'm the kind of guy who, when riding his bike, I'm looking down at the road to make sure I'm not running over ants and little things like, because, oh. well, the idea, I mean, and I eat the, the, the hypocrisy of it is that like burning calories that are made from a cow, you know? Yeah. That, you're really loving that cheeseburger. Yeah. yeah loving the cheeseburger. I ate that yeah. cow and then I'm avoiding ants because I just can't stand the idea of like this, the very same thing you were just talking about, the, the, the R2 arcs is this, you know, mm -hmm. sweet little genius of an ant living its sweet little life and my dumb ass, you know, just hauling down a bicycle to show up from the middle of nowhere and just run you over, you know, out, mm -hmm. out, and just the wilderness that I was inevitably conscribed to come kill that creature with yeah. my lumbering. Well, if it's, if it's any comfort, the magic ice cream truck of life is coming to mow you down too. And, you know, sooner or later, I mean, do not ask for whom the magic ice cream truck tolls. It tolls for thee. Because you know it's coming. And oh, yeah. inevitably, you know, you're going to have your encounter with death. And, you know, then you'll, you'll have your reckoning. Like, you'll you yeah. have you know, that, that single moment, that instant, yeah. uh, right before, you know, you plunge into darkness, you'll have uh, a, probably a recollection of your entire life. And look at the whole thing. Look at all these intersecting moments. All the choices you made. Choices shit. that you made. Yeah. No, no, I don't know about no, that. I, I think that you'll see it in context and, and maybe you'll actually yeah. re release a lot of guilt and shame and embarrassment or, or regret and just say it all is as it should be. Everything well, is unfolding exactly as it's supposed to be. And, you know, you you killing a couple of ants or eating a cheeseburger or the magic ice cream truck taking you out on a bike ride, you know. If I die because of a exactly goddamn ice cream truck now, I'm gonna, you realize you're going to be some <laughs> guilt. Uh, so, really, um, so that's that's actually the the magic ice cream truck is the is the ultimate chapter of relished vices my second memoir oh, because yes. i've always had this vision that i was going to be killed by an ice cream truck Mr. and I'm, I'm really yeah i'm really worried that my death knell is going to be turkey in the fucking straw i'm oh. hoping it's the entertainer because that's a bit more <laughs> on brand but i just remember uh, i lived in brooklyn for a while and we watched this mr softy guy go Fuck, he lost his mind, got like so angry in traffic and was like, in a, like fighting this woman. It was like a traffic altercation. He got out, he's like screaming, kicking her car. And this uh, Puerto Rican guy that I worked with, he's like, he's smoking a cigarette. He's like, I mean, I can't blame him. He's got to listen to that fucking song all day. Yeah. yeah just like, yeah, man, that makes somebody psychotic in a day. I don't yeah. be able to have well, that at all. So I'm glad, uh, look, I, I this isn't part of what I want to talk to you about, but now that I've got you on the line, um, I had a moment the other day. Uh, I don't, I don't normally ever go to bars and I, mm -hmm. uh, I was out, I went to go camp with Pele. You know, he and I, are, it was, my wife was out of town. So I went down to mm -hmm. Pacifica. You've been down to Pacifica. It's this little, little beach town, um, just South of San Francisco. And uh -huh. there's, a, there's a sweet little spot where you can camp You can pull up your car and mm -hmm. park. You're right on the ocean. It's gorgeous. Okay. But, wow. Sounds I mean, lovely. Yeah, it's really, really cool. But uh, just, I don't know, a few minutes north of that, there's this bar called Nick's. And it's like a big restaurant bar. And they've got mm -hmm. like, you know, this really, the, a band, I think the youngest person in the band is probably in their 60s. And there's like this Japanese or Chinese guy who's the singer. He's got this weird, mm -hmm. like unusually deep voice. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, I fooled around and fell in oh, love. I love that song. You know, like, yeah, yeah, they're like singing and, you know, playing all these covers. And it's just, it's a weird, it's weird to me. Like it's a, it's a almost like surrealistic sort of place. It's got this sort of fifties, sixties vibe. So anyway, that I sit, really at the, cool, sit at the bar and I'm like, you know, I don't drink. So I'm like drinking a soda water and eating a fucking 
uh, Caesar salad, like an idiot, just, just people watching. And I was overwhelmed all of a sudden I, I like look across the bar and there's this big old lady, like she's real big. Right. And she's just, she's got this sandwich in her hand and she's like dancing and grooving and like the sandwich every once in a while, it's kind of microphone. And she's like singing to the sandwich and takes, <laughs> takes a bite and she's just grooving. Right. And I'm watching her and I was oh, beautiful overwhelmed with the thought i suddenly like and it was similar to i've had like a couple strokes and it was uh -huh. sort of almost i was like oh my god i'm having a stroke but I, I suddenly could not stop thinking about the fact that myself and every single person in that room would someday be dead mm -hmm. i'm just looking at a room full of future dead people and i'm one of them mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. i don't know what it was about that lady dancing with the sandwich that triggered this like super sad I mean, I was like sad for everyone. I was sad for all the people that knew them, mm, all mm -hmm. sad for the people who wouldn't remember them. You know, I mean, like all the things, all the mm -hmm. intendant, attendant sadness that comes with someone's passing was just, I mean, I almost cried. I was like, so they're kind of trying. That's a beautiful cry. moment. It That's a beautiful moment. Up. Though. <laughs> it was beautiful, but it's also fucked up. What, what do you, if you had, I feel like you've had shit like this. What, what, oh man, on? my life is full of moments like that. So, I mean, I, I think that what you described is actually a really beautiful moment in your life. I mean, I think, I hope that you remember that woman with her sandwich and what it, oh, what yeah. it elicited in you for the rest of your life. Cause it sounds like it gave you a keyhole view into the, the web of connections that binds us all together. Um, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about mortality. I really do. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not that I'm obsessed. It's not that I'm worried. I spend a lot of time thinking about it, trying to look at my at life in context, not just yeah. my life, but all, all lives. Um, when, and one of the best ways that you can value your life is to be aware of its ephemerality, to understand that it's going to come to an end someday. And, you know, that moment when you looked at that woman, I mean, I, I think I fall in love a couple times a day. I fall in love all yeah. the time. I, yeah, I constantly sure. look at a person and just and see so much beauty in, in them. Yeah. And if I'm if I'm if I'm in a place of spiritual fitness, which I can't say that I'm at very often. I think that's it's very intermittent, these sure. moments of spiritual fitness. But if I'm in a place of real spiritual fitness, I can genuinely find beauty in almost everything I encounter. And yeah. um, moments like that, when you suddenly look at humanity and you recognize like how fleeting it all is yeah. and how every one of these lies uh, it is, it's not just, and I think the thing that we all have to get past, and this is, this is, uh, this is a struggle for all of us, but we all have to get past this idea of discrete units of human life. We are all of a piece, yeah. all of life, not just human life, all animal, plant, sure. fungal, mineral life in the, on, in, in the cosmos is very much of a piece. And it does form a collective consciousness. It forms a collective entity of life, of, ex of existence. Um, and you know, many, many religions, especially Eastern religions, especially Buddhism really try and, and Taoism really try to, uh, emphasize this idea of oneness in things and moments like that, like what you experience when you suddenly peer through the veil of individuality into this sort of collective consciousness, you suddenly began recognizing that that woman was you and that yeah, that woman was sure. every person, you know, and yeah. you, she was just this tiny keyhole through which you were appreciating the entirety. You know, you were looking at the, the holistic through, through the part. There's a, there's a word for that. I think it's like, um, synecdoche when a part represents the, 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 the whole, um, I, I think, I, I think moments like that. Are, oh, no, sorry. I, I think they are beautiful, but I, I, I don't know if it was like, I've got some sort of sandwich trigger. Like the, 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 <laughs> the, 
that my existential dread is on a sandwich trigger that like if that was that woman's last sandwich she fucking got the shit out of the sandwich you know what i mean she got yeah she, yeah, she really got something out of that sandwich that's pretty bad. i mean like grooving to elvin bishop and like so munching cool. that drunkenly drunkenly munching that sandwich to a cover of, of elvin bishop even it was like a I, like, cover of it like, so, yeah, yeah. But an asian american man with like a a, a uh, oh, what's the guy's from Star Trek's voice? The real oddly deep voice. Oh my god, mm. he's like a, he's like a, a a gay figure, like a a hero. Of oh, like a George Takei. George Takei. Yeah, he had the yeah, George yeah, Takei. Okay. He had like a deep voice like that guy <laughs> singing Elvin Bishop while this chick is drunkenly munching the sandwich, and it wow. it, it was such a strange moment to be like, um, you know, alone. <laughs> Just uh, already kind of a weird. But you weren't because you like you were actually appreciating her her humanity and and recognizing her beauty and her specialness. Yeah. And you were feeling the way she was feeling. Like you were definitely in a moment of of genuine empathy. Like you were looking into her soul and seeing the pleasure she was experiencing and recognizing that it was yeah. it was not to, meant to last. You know, it was like this brief yeah. moment. I yeah. live for that kind of shit, dude. I really do. That's why I travel the way I do. I yeah. live for those kinds of things. Those are the, those. That's the good stuff. You know, we, we squander so much of our lives in small, petty concerns and rivalries and, and, and pointless ambitions when the kinds of things we should be seeking are moments of connection and of yeah. insight. These small epiphanies, like these small right. moments of grace, that's the stuff that, that I'm always on the hunt for. And I, when I'm the most unhappy is when I get caught up in, in the real petty horseshit of, of human existence. Yeah. You know, especially in in our culture and late stage capitalism, you know, we're all doomed to these terrible struggles um, that are that are essentially so meaningless. When yeah. the the real growth, the real insight occurs at the juncture, like what you just described, when you look into another human being and you see their beauty and you see their life story and you see all these wonderful qualities of experience, you know, that they're actually experiencing their life and when they're suddenly really present and you're present with them and, and you may not be, she may not be aware of your observation, but there is a definite connection that is occurring between you at that moment. Uh, that's, that's the beautiful stuff, man. That's the yeah. stuff worth living for. And honestly, that's the stuff that you'll remember at the end. It ain't going to be whether or not you paid your light bill on time. Right. It ain't going to be whether or not you got any credentials. It ain't going to be these kinds of professional achievements and so forth. It's going to be yeah. moments where you truly appreciated the big picture, yeah. you know, through, through a very, very small lens. Well, what, the very beginning of our conversation, we were talking about the difference between adventure and vacation, you know, mm. and, and like sort of not getting meaning confused or pleasure confused with meaning. Do you know what I mean? Like there, mm. there's the seeking out pleasure and seeking out little, little, you know, those little joys, those little personal satisfactions mm. are not to be confused with meaning. And insofar as you can find meaning anywhere you know that that can last but i i think in in whatever pursuit i've been on to, to travel it's been trying mm. to, to tease out those two things you know yeah maybe this is unpleasant like jumping in a cold lake but mm. you know there, there's a lot to be gained from it from having done it you know i, I would not pleasure either though i think there's there are things to be gained from pleasure oh, it's, sure. like it is important to, it's important to put it in context right i mean some of the some of the some of the deepest most profound connections I've ever had with people have been in pursuit of pleasure. You know, um, I spent a lot of time in sex clubs. I spent a lot of time in places with red lights. And, you know, when you're, when you're on the hunt for pleasure, um, 
sometimes other things reveal themselves in, yeah. in, the, in the midst of that hunt. So, yeah. you know, even when you're experiencing, you know, pleasure, physical pleasure, uh, sensual pleasure, you know, uh, sensory pleasure, sure. even in the middle of that, other things may be backpacking in there with it. You know, right. there may be other, other insights that are waiting to reveal themselves too. So. And vice, vice versa. When you're vice versa. Not, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think it's, um, it's a worthwhile pursuit to try to find either, you know, it's just mm. trying to figure out which one is which. <laughs> is this just yeah. pleasure or is this meaningful? Or is it both? Is it neither? And uh, I think you may, you may not find out until afterwards either. You may not know, yeah. you may not understand the, the, the meaning of it until much later. Right. And you may actually not even understand how much pleasure there wasn't until later either. Like sometimes, yeah. sometimes even things that seem really quotidian and boring actually have a lot of pleasure embedded in them that you don't recognize until after it's gone. You don't recognize the pleasure until it's absence. Right. You know, something like, wow, I really like that. Yeah. I like being around that person. I really like that experience. I actually really like that job. I like that. I like that house. Sure. And it's it's completely lost because you're not in the moment. Yeah. And it's like suddenly like you have this accumulated experience and once you're no longer in that moment, in that circumstance, you're suddenly like, Wow, I actually really love that. Why why did I leave that? Well, that's the thing um that I like about your writing is that you are you're you're a chronicler, but you're also an inventory guy. You're taking oh, inventory yeah. of yourself, of like there was one passage in there where we talked about um, a friend and a, 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 a conflict you had with someone. And it was the briefest mention. Oh. It was painful oh. for you and painful for that person. And the way you handled that, I thought was really lovely because you outlined it enough where it doesn't hurt that person. Um, it doesn't hurt you. And it doesn't diminish the friendship that you had. Uh, it honors it in a way that uh, is telling of the whole thing. You're 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 honoring mm. the moments, and that mm. yeah, not sandwiches don't last. Friendships don't always last. Shit is back to the sandwich. <laughs> it's it's all. I told you I'm on a sandwich trigger. Uh, I am actually a little hungry, but that 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 you you write about things in a way that is an inventory is an mm. an account and a reckoning of the time that's just screaming through us you know and uh that's oh, nice to turn phrase I, like that. The time think, that's screaming yeah it is man. sometimes screaming back at us but mm. you you i think it, it it illustrates something that i think is important that people do is that they they take into account their own story reflect mm. remember because like you said you know sometimes in the pursuit of pleasure you find something else Sometimes in the pursuit of your past, like just trying to contextualize and understand, wait, why was that? Mm -hmm. What was I doing? Mm -hmm. How did I feel mm -hmm. about this thing? You do a great job at that. And uh, thank you. I thank think you. Uh, I, I'd really like a lot more people to read your stuff for sure. But I, I'd, like, I'd like that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love that. Thanks yeah. for that. Um, I should, I should point out here that the reason why uh, you and I know each other is because I was so drawn to your writing. I think you're a really great writer. And, and I think you and I are really, I think you and I are really kindred spirits and we're very much chroniclers. Um, and I think, so you wrote this really great book, The Moron at the end of this book that I just Thanks, loved. Man. I loved it oh, so awesome. much. I, I had such a great time reading it. It was highly, so, so listeners, if you haven't picked this book up yet, I highly recommend oh. it. Thanks. And this is, that, this is how Andrew and I became friends as uh, through the gift of his writing. But you, you, you have a really great knack for observation. And I think that you've actually gleaned a lot of insight from the small details of things. You know, in, in terms of inventorying, 
sometimes just accumulating a wealth of detail allows you to observe the gestalt. Like you can see kind of the entirety, yeah. you know, through what you've accumulated. You get enough kind of stuff together. You can be like, well, I'm able to, to extrapolate from this pile of shit here to right. see more of the big picture. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you're really good at that. And, and your essays are very, uh, I mean, they're, they're all over the map. I mean, you've had a really strange life. You've been in many different situations. You've had many different occupations. You've worn many different hats. Um, I think you've led many different kinds of lives in your life. Yeah. And I think when I, when I think about people's careers, I don't really think so much about the string of jobs they held. I really think about the way that their spiritual calling is manifest in their actions and their choices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that your career really is as an adventurer, as a traveler. And I think that you, you are someone who wants to translate your experience for the benefit of others. And I think you do that really, really well in writing. Thanks, uh, my sense is that you do it really well through, you know, this vehicle too, you know, through conversation. Um, I, I appreciate that about your spirit. I think this is the thing that, that draws you and I together. So we're very, yeah. we're very much that kind of guy. Um, but I, I had a great time reading the book, man. <laughs> I, awesome. I can't recommend it enough. You, you Thanks, really, man. you did a beautiful job with that. Thank and, you. you know, anyone who hasn't picked it up yet, please do so. Cause you're, you're in for a great ride. Well, this guy. Uh, so I, I would say likewise, and but the the thing that I would um, almost want more out of people. I mean, yeah, for sure, I want them to to get books and to read more. You know, that'd be great if yeah. people read more. Uh, not that the world was perfect right. when people read more; it was still fucked up. But you know, I think it's yeah. a nice thing to have. But what I'd also really like out of people is to draw from your example, um, just the re- self reflection. I think one of the the greatest deficiencies, which I don't know if that's, that might be a train wreck of grammar, but uh, one of the the things missing, most obviously missing in our culture, in our species, is Mm -hmm. an awareness of self, just Mm self-awareness to reflect on whether or not you are in fact being a sweetheart or an asshole. And I think you do a good job of recognizing when you are either When I'm being an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, you recognize when you're being... I'll take that as a great compliment. Thank you for that. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think many people would actually probably strongly disagree with you on that point about whether or not well, I'm being an asshole. You, well, you're and, and, trying your best to reckon with it. I'm, and to, and I'm to, working to, on it. I'm to have on some it. self-awareness around your behavior in the world, how, you know, how you are getting along in the world is a thing. And, and this is a great tool for it. So what I would encourage people to do, yeah, for sure, get your book, get, get any of these books. Uh, the the brother, Sisterhood, Brotherhood of Maggie Brood, the so, brother of Maggie Brood. Bro- bro- brother novel. of Maggie Brood. The brother of Maggie Brood. That one. Yeah, is... one goddamn job, Andrew. Sorry, one job. Sorry. Just plug the books, man. Gee, yeah. Jesus. It will, there will be links on the website. There will be links on the website. Brother of Maggie Brood is my, is my third novel. But, uh, yeah. that, you, that was the one you started on, right? You started yes, reading sublimely, that and you made a lateral job. Yeah, sublimely strange. I, I am enjoying it and I will finish it. But it was definitely <laughs> this, the, the, the road in uh, another pun. To, to talking to you was definitely through your travel books. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's where you and I have overlap. Definitely. We definitely have overlap. We, you know, it was the same time. Like I bought my, my vehicle in 2017 and, uh, and we left, oh, wow. we left on my birthday, May 18th, 2018 or May 1st, 2018. Um, but and yeah. you were in St. Augustine at the time. No, that was our bike trip. No. Our, our, oh, it was our, your bike trip. Okay, sorry. Our van trip started in Sebastopol, California. And we went to Alaska okay. and down to Costa Rica. Okay. We lived in our van for two years with our dog. Wow. Um, wow. But uh, the 
yeah, there are a lot of parallels in there, but I, I just like how you are, you are reflecting on the world around you, how you get along in it. And you certainly have a lot of appreciation for animals. There's a lot of talk of animals, people's Ooh. dogs. Like what a sweet thing to encounter other people's dogs while you're traveling. Oh man, I love dogs. I got, yeah. Now I got four of them. So yeah. Um, and that's actually, that's actually kind of, kind of one of the biggest difficulties that my partner and I are facing now is just because of the four dogs and they, they, were, they were his dogs and I've just inherited them by, you know, yeah. partnering with him. Um, that they really, really impinges on our ability to travel. It's sure. tough. We're, yeah. it's, we're, we're trying to figure out kind of long-term what we're going to do to be able to travel because travel is essential to my well-being. It's, it's, it's yeah. so part of the core of who I am. Um, I mean, I, I, I think in terms of, to get back to this idea of, of self-reflection, I actually think that I would like in my work to have less self-reflection and, and more observation. I, I'd really like to kind of get away from the trap of being so, you know, sort of consumed with my, myself and really more focused on the world around me. And, and I realize that everything is going through the lens of my interpretation and, yeah. you know, in me describing and interpreting uh, and, and um, you know, translating that I'm very much viewing everything with, with a lot of me and my persona and everything and my tastes and, and, and what in my history and whatnot. But I, I would like my work to really be more about observation of the bigger picture. And I'm, I'm actually trying to pull more of me out of it and place more emphasis on what it is that I'm observing and just recognize that I'm, I'm just a conduit through which all this information is being poured. Yeah. I really like to see myself, not as a generator, but as a translator. I, I sure. began thinking that my role here is to act as a messenger because I, I feel like it's not so much about me expressing my feelings or me, you know, coming up with the, all these ideas that I want everyone to, you know, uh, keep praise on. It's like I want to act as a conduit for for some kind of message. And I don't even fully understand this message right now. Mm -hmm. I don't even completely grasp what it is I'm meant to transmit, but I do yeah. feel strongly that I'm meant to transmit something that I'm working look, on. I'm just Yeah. Looking at the koi fish over your shoulder, uh, uh, that is very much a translation. You know, mm -hmm. I mean that that is that is most definitely a translation of a thing. I spend a lot of time with koi fish, oddly enough. Oh um, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've I've spent a lot of time working on this big pond. Uh I, I love koi fish. But That's pretty it, rad, man. But yeah, I feel very fortunate to have koi in my life. I mean, what a sweet thing. That's pretty rad. Yeah, but, good, but, you're, job. but painting, it, the way you paint, just, I mean, just seeing right now the few things that I can see in your room there, those are, those are definitely translations. So you're mm. for sure doing it in your painting, you know, Thanks. that's, um, and with your writing, you know, yeah, the, we could talk about this in circles forever, but I, I think you are simultaneously achieving what you're looking for and you're still in the story. Which mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, to to be that's probably self, unavoidable. Yeah, well, but to be self-aware and realizing how small you are is huge. <laughs> I know mm -hmm. another grammatical train wreck, but it's very important, <laughs> important to to realize how small you are uh, mm -hmm. in the grand picture of things. And I think absolutely you, you do absolutely. a great job of that. You know, thank you. So thank you for that. I, that's a that's a real compliment. Actually, I appreciate that very much. Um, yeah, my boyfriend and I talk a lot about this, about this idea of being very small in the grand scheme of things. I think, I think it's important. It's not, and it's not really so much a discussion about humility as just 
recognition, recognition, like understanding, yeah. like oh, each each of us is a very very small, you know, yeah. tiny little moat in the grand scheme of things. But it's hard to see that because we get so, you know, our our brains and our social conditioning kind of prompt us to think yeah. of the world in terms of of us and our yeah. relationships. It's not just us versus the world, you know. I'm like not You're understanding. One, yeah. Yeah, Your one job is to, to to keep the Corey show on the road, man. That's your job. Yeah. That's what you're supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the biological imperative is like yeah. preserve the self. But exactly. You know, the, one of the great things that I'm, I'm starting to pick up from, you know, again, this is a very cursory, very dip my toe in study of Buddhism, but I'm, I'm just starting to kind of get my head around some of these ideas. And, um, you know, one of the big ones is this uh, the principle of oneness, just recognizing that, that, all of these divisions of self and environment are completely illusory, you know, and this is a big theme that appears again and again in my work. Um, this dissolution between figure and environment between self and, and scenery and, um, between individual and other, uh, and, and trying to understand that these, these are edges and boundaries, um, and skins that are really mental constructs, yeah. you know, that provide order to what would otherwise be a molecular chaos, you know, sure, sure. Con- if we, if we actually were to look at the, the true face of reality at a kind of a quantum level, that it is just this incredible uh, energetic dance of things constantly yeah. recombining, breaking apart, reforming, right. um, ejection and absorption of material and, I think that happens at a at a soul level. I don't even think it's just physical. I mean, I think all things, including identity, sure. are very porous, very much combinative, very galactic in nature. Right. Um, and uh, all of the things that we, you, all the devices we use to segregate, you know, self versus environment, or you know, you versus me, or male versus female, all those things, they're just constructs. They're just sure. they're 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 meant to provide a lattice for our. Uh, societies to organize themselves around or for our consciousness to uh, be able to function, you know, because otherwise it would just be too much information. So we need to provide these sort of filters in order to be able to get through our work. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, you know, I'll be talking more about this very subject, hopefully with my next guest. Um, I'll Mm -hmm. leave a little cliffhanger here. (laughs) uh, My next guest is is also a, a writer and a traveler. Uh, mm-hmm. And coming at it from a different uh, different perspective, but is very much in tune to the idea of identity and territory and mm-hmm. place and how, mm-hmm. you know, uh, our genders and things like that uh, shape our experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, our perception of it is so, you know, it's so tied to this current uh, biological iteration you know, there are philosophers out there right now very convincingly arguing for the, you know, panpsychism, that, that, that consciousness is a fundamental element of the universe, like mm-hmm. the force of gravity or, you know, all these things that are just fundamental to the laws of nature, that perhaps mm-hmm. consciousness exists in that same continuum of of laws and things that must yeah i would totally buy that i would totally buy into that it's certainly a a possibility which which throws the idea of identity into question you know Mm -hmm. and that there is an other thing you know it's just in the shape that it took for this iteration because soon it will be Mm -hmm. something else yeah and that's that's the key thing to remember soon it will be something else i think i think i think the 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 chief organizing principle of the universe is recombination and yeah. and 
and recognizing ephemerality in all things means understanding that forms are ephemeral. Sure. Identity, I think, is very ephemeral. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's all these things are also recommendative. I think all these things are, you know, I, I said I used the word galactic earlier to sort of suggest that all these things are collective in nature. I think right. that even our souls are collective in nature. I, uh, one of the big problems I have with reincarnation is this idea of like that there's a, a an intact soul that's sort of traveling from shell to shell. And I really tend to think of soul. That's my nightmare. Yeah, that's a bummer. Well, it's also, I think it's, it's convenient for people who want to imagine themselves to be important figures in history. Like, oh, I was Cleopatra, or I was Napoleon, or oh, I was, God. you know, so-and-so. It's like, no, you, you, you're, you're, you're stardust and dinosaur poop. And yeah, Napoleon might be mixed in there, too. Yeah, I, have, I, hope, I, have, I hope I've never been. I hope I never will be again. This is fine. Like, please, an, an indefinitely <laughs> prolonged, <laughs> an indefinitely prolonged existence is a guy. I don't care if it's tits and champagne or like paddle <laughs> prods to the balls, whatever, anything eternal. Some people pay good money for that. Yeah. It, either, <laughs> either one is not cool indefinitely. You know what I mean? I just don't want, yeah, yeah, I yeah. want this show to cut. It's over. You know, I just, I, it, I want this it show. Will, it will. No, no worry. Over. It'll, it'll happen. But I'm, I might um, worry a little. I, I think my kind of my issue with this, this idea of reincarnation is that it just is a little fixed. Sure. And I think that that evidence, you know, if we sort of look empirically at, at our experience, mm -hmm. like evidence shows that nothing is fixed. Everything, everything yeah. in mountains, you know, will eventually yeah. become to their constituent components. And I think the soul goes through a similar process. I think the soul is, is very much cumulative in nature. Mm -hmm. I think identity, memory, you know, the entire human experience is very cumulative. You are, you are a combination of all the things you've ingested, you know, experientially and molecular and chemically, and then you're constantly rejecting material. Things are disappearing, you know, memories are sort of breaking yeah. apart. And, yeah. and even memory is reforming in your mind because it's not a fixed entity, but rather sort of yeah. a, a tendency. Right. Um, and I, I kind of think that the human soul goes through that same process of dissolution and recombination. And I think, you know, it effectively all, all of it turn, gets, gets put back into the big, Booyah base of experience, and then just just another ladleful comes out, gets dumped into a cup, and then gets poured back in. You know, I think that we're we're constantly recombining. I mean, I think this conversation is changing you and I. You know, we are having yeah. this experience of talking back and forth, and each of us is sort of absorbing and rejecting and absorbing, and yeah. rejecting, and it's changing your consciousness, it changes mine, changes your perception, changes mine. And I think that that's what's happening all the time. It's happening on a molecular level with your environment. You're not the same person you were physically two years ago your nope. your cells have died off by sure. the millions and have been reborn by the millions and yet you are so recognizable are you the same person that you were when you were two years old absolutely not i mean you have the same name you you share some characteristics of that person you share you know some dna you share some some source material but for the most part you yeah. are a whole new galaxy that just shares mm -hmm. a lot of the same attributes of the galaxy that you were when you were two years old and i think that goes on before you were born and after you die <laughs> you know, we go great with that booyah base of uh, cosmic identity and mm -hmm. the, the constituent pieces. A fucking sandwich, man. A oh, sandwich. man, you are really hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm, okay, I, man. I, I want to keep talking to you about this. Uh, you and I could, we could have lots. We could talk we a should, lot of time about stuff. We, we, no, we should, should yeah, more, we should. Yeah, we should I, talk I, more I about I thoroughly enjoy you. I think, really, I think you're a really cool guy. And I'm Likewise, really, I'm really really glad we became friends i will say i'm just gonna shamelessly plug my book really quick please um, do not so souvenirs my, this is so the, no, this would be like the third book you've put out this year right uh, so i put out eight books in the last year and a half or so so uh, my second novel my second novel the nova in the attic uh is a, as a ghost story 
that's oh, nice. about all of these themes that we've been discussing. Oh, awesome. um, I had a, I had a partner die in a really gruesome way, and he wasn't discovered for a couple months. Yeah. And this was in Memphis. Yeah. And it was really one of the most traumatic events of my entire life. And it forced me to uh, really wrestle with some big picture stuff about death, about mortality, about life, and about my feelings about this concept of reincarnation and ghosts and what constitutes memory and sort of molecular nature of identity and so forth. Uh, and so that book was a response to that, to that extremely traumatizing, upsetting event in my life. This was my way of working out my feelings about it. And so a lot of these principles that I, I've been wrestling with about what it means to be human and what it means to die and the things that endure beyond death um, found their way into that book. And so it's, it's a bit atypical for my writing because it was very much a book that was born out of, out of a particular event in my life. It's very much about a, a grief. But it was a chance for me to explore a lot of some of these philosophical things we've been discussing. Yeah. Um, and it was probably at the time that I wrote, it was like the most personal, intimate thing that I thought I was capable of writing. And I since then realized that my essays were another avenue through which I could explore these things in a, in a much more discrete, small, modular kind of form. Well, that was a very heavy chapter um, in the Pamela Diaries, <laughs> the Three Fires in Memphis, was that? Three Fires in Memphis, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, was, that was beautiful. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Well, um, so what's your, your website, CoreyMichaelSmithson.com? CoreyMichaelSmithson.com. Yeah, okay. so that's... Uh, there's content on there that is not work safe or, or family friendly, but it's all clearly labeled. You know, okay. so don't come clutching your pearls with me later, folks. No, definitely, definitely show up clutching your pearls. I want to and record that. <laughs> Let's see how you deal with that. Uh, yeah, go go get his stuff. It's available on Amazon. Can you buy it directly through your website? So no. Yeah, there, there are links on my website that will point okay. you towards them. Uh, so on Amazon, uh, all of my books are available, uh, with the exception of my book of poetry. Uh, that's only available in paperback. But everything else is available in paperback or on Kindle. If you're okay. a, a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, they're available for free. For free. Great. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you can get on paperback or on cool. Kindle. And I think there's other now uh, expanded dis distribution allows uh you get to buy these books at Barnes and Noble or I think other right. online booksellers are selling them too. Yeah. So you can, you can find me. Cool. Brian Michael Smith is my name. Andrew, thank you so much for plugging my stuff. And honestly, dude, we, you and I can talk for hours. I, I, know. We, we, I have know. So many, we have so many things to, to un, unpack and we'll get to that as in, in, in the course yeah. of our friendship, we will, but this is a really great conversation. Thank you very much for um, inviting me to be part of your, your little dog and pony show. Um, you're such a cool guy and you're such a good writer. And That's you know, cool. I, I I, t I take your your interest in my work as a huge compliment, man. I really do, because I think a writer of your caliber and an adventurer of your grit and just a man of your qualities, uh, that's that's a tremendous, tremendous compliment. So that's thank going you on for my that. tombstone. That is going to be on the tombstone, man. <laughs> thank you, man. All right, man. Uh, lots of love, and I'm and, um, looking forward to seeing more from you. So please keep writing because you, you you got you got the gift, man. You really do. Likewise, you're, you're, you're the real deal. So and it's been Cheers. it's been a pleasure getting to 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 know you better. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your sandwich. It's coming up soon. Sing, I hope you sing into the sandwich <laughs> like that lady at the bar did for you. All right. All right, my friend. I've just found joy. I'm as happy as a baby boy 
with another brand new choo-choo When I met my sweet Lorraine, Lorraine, Lorraine A pair of eyes that are brighter than the summer skies When you see them you realize Why I love my sweet Lorraine Now when it's raining I don't miss the sun Because it's in my baby's smile And to think that I'm the lucky one That will lead her down the aisle Each night I pray That no one will steal her heart away I can't wait until that lucky day When I marry sweet Each night I pray That no one will steal her heart away I can't wait until that lucky day When I marry sweet Lorraine 